the blast from our past network. Good day and welcome to the Blast From Our Past podcast. Uh, we're the podcast that brings you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, and horrible Australian accents. I'm your mate, Adam. I'm John. <laughs> and today we are bringing you an episode from Down Under. We are talking Crocodile Dundee 2 from 1988, uh, Rocco's Modern Life that ran in the mid-90s, and then we are doing a casting of Marvel and DC Australian based comic book characters i don't think they're all some of them are image too so it's it's oh, yeah, the right. yeah yeah you're right you're right some of his image so uh we're all over the way but we are just we're hitting australia hard mainly because uh you wanted to do crocodile dundee 2 i think i think you put together this episode if i remember correctly yes and tell me just a little bit you know why why did you choose two because we haven't done crocodile dundee yet no, we haven't, but I'll be honest, I don't remember watching the first one all that much. Okay. I remember watching two a lot. So when we we were going to do it, I was like, you know what? I like Crocodile Dundee, but it's not nostalgic for me. Mm-hmm. The second one is absolutely nostalgic for me. I remember watching this, I don't know how many times. So I decided, you know what? I, I We're just going to skip one. Mm-hmm. We're just going to skip one. We're going to go straight to two because- It's our podcast. We can do whatever the hell we want. Yeah, we do whatever we want. <laughs> And just I'm much more nostalgic for it. And then I started looking, can you know, how can I tie in Australia? And sure enough, Rocco's Modern Life popped up. I was like, you know what? I didn't really watch it, uh, but yeah, I, I seem to remember you did. Oh yeah, and it, it fit in the right time slot. And so then it was just came down to what do we want to cast? And I was like, you know what? It's I like doing the comic book castings when we can. Australian characters in comics don't get a lot of. No notoriety or push. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, let's do that. Yeah. So that's kind of how this uh, episode came about. Yep. I could tell you, I looking at the list that we are casting, I haven't heard of a single one of, <laughs> one of those characters. <laughs> so I, and I'll mention it again, again uh, later, I, I only cast really on looks. I didn't really uh-huh. know any, I don't know anything on these depths. I kind of did the same. Yeah. Uh, I originally had Captain Boomerang on there, but with the new Suicide Squad coming out and them keeping yeah, Jack Jai Courtney, Courtney as yeah. Captain Boomerang, I was like, you know what? We don't need to do that. No. All right. Okay. Crocodile Dundee 2, The Dose, Electric Boogaloo from 1988. Uh, John, could you please take us back to the year 1988. So the movie came out on May 25th of 1988. Uh, topping the Billboard Top 100 singles for that week was a song called Anything For You by Gloria Estefan and Miami Sound Machine. It's like a ballad. I've learned so much from you. You made me strong. Don't you ever think that I don't love you. For one Okay, I don't remember it off the top of my head, but yeah. I, I, I listened I, to it, and I didn't recognize it at all. Okay, but I like Gloria Stefan. Yeah. Uh, topping the Nielsen ratings that week is a very well-known um, sitcom the called- Cosby Show? No, Cheers oh. that week. Ah, Cheers, okay. Cosby Show must not have been on at that, yeah. that point yet. <laughs> they must not have started their season. 
or had an off week. Uh, the top of the New York Times bestseller is a book you have never heard of called Zoya by an author you have heard of called Danielle Steele. We've, we've mentioned her like a lot. She sells a lot of books. <laughs> she sold a lot of books. Yeah. A and lot I of books. Believe, I, I'm pretty sure she is. I mentioned before, I'm pretty sure she is like a romance novelist. Okay. Um, I, I think I remember looking at this stuff. Yeah, Danielle Steele is an American best known for her romance novels. So okay. she's the best. She is the best-selling author alive. Holy crap. Thanks, Wikipedia. And the fourth best-selling <laughs> fiction author of all time. So, yeah, this was like right in her heyday, it seems. Because like we, you've mentioned her like four or five times now. Yeah. And so. probably won't be the last time at all. Yep. Uh, it released around that time uh, in video games is a game. And I, I didn't go back to check. But I want to say you mentioned this game when we counted down our top 10 NES games. And I can't remember if it was one that was in your top 10 or if you mentioned it as an honorable mention. Um, but uh, around this time was the release of RC Pro-Am. Oh, yeah. It was for one the, of my honor- uh, No, no. It was one, I think it was my number eight or nine or something around that. Okay. Yeah. Because it was, yeah, you're kind of, I remember we're, you're driving around and you had like little jumps and all this stuff and you're kind of like a little remote control car. Yeah. It was really cool. Yeah. Fun game. Yeah. A lot of fun. I was horrible at it, but yeah, yeah. I can't say I was any better. Um, I think one of them that you might mentioned was Superman, and I was terrible at that one. But that was still a fun game. You know what? I've got a little emulator, and I've got Superman, and I've tried to go back and play it, and I still don't know how the hell to play the game. I'm still not sure exactly what it is I'm supposed to do. Yeah, there we go. It's hard to figure out. Um, and my last little uh, nugget. It was kind of interesting that this little thing kind of popped up when I was looking. So that year, uh, the Australian Parliament borrowed the original copy of the Australian Constitution from Britain when they uh, when they broke away from Britain back in like the early 20th century. I can't remember the exact uh-huh. date. Um, but they haven't given it back yet. I think that's valid. Don't you think they should have their own <laughs> constitution and not Britain owning that just because they, they still want to probably try and own everything? Uh, it, it sounds reasonable. Where they where they could be like, yeah, oh, this document never happened, and they just like eat it. <laughs> no, 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 never happened. You're still ours. But. So anyway, that was 1988. All right, That's some cool facts from 1988. Uh, now we are going to Vegemite our way into uh, Crocodile Dundee Two. Is that is that what Vegemite is? Can you do that? Can you Vegemite something? I, by spreading Vegemite <laughs> on it. I don't know. I, all right. Have you ever tried Vegemite before? I, I have not, but it... I, it it is disgusting. Okay. <laughs> right. Well, and I am instead... so sorry for any of my our Australian yeah. listeners, but it is disgusting. Yeah. Well, instead, let's, uh, let's just talk about Crocodile Dundee 2. All right. Crocodile Dundee 2 from 1988. Uh, John Cornell is the director. He also directed Almost an Angel. And that's it. And that's all he directed <laughs> were those two movies. Um, he did produce uh, plenty of stuff. Well, not plenty. He produces stuff that Paul Hogan was on. Like he's apparently, he worked with Paul Hogan on a lot of projects, but that was really mm-hmm. his go-to guy on stuff. Okay. This film was written by Paul Hogan and I believe his brother Brett. Paul also wrote the original mm-hmm. and I think the the trip, the third one as well. But um, so... You know, this is this is really his entity. He he is Crocodile Dundee. Do he he owns that character pretty much fully? It's like um, Rocky. He, like yeah. Stallone is Rocky. Yep. Hogan is Crocodile Dundee. Absolutely. The music was done by Peter Best. 
but not the Peter Best that you're probably thinking of. Uh, Peter Best was the drummer of the Beatles before Ringo. Mm-hmm. This is not that Peter Best. This is a different <laughs> Peter Best. Um, he did the first Crocodile Dundee as well and some other stuff, but just a totally different guy. Yeah. Uh, the cast for this film, Crocodile Dundee, was played by Paul Hogan. As I mentioned, this is definitely uh, he's most famous for this franchise. Um, but he did. He's a comedic actor throughout Australia. He, he's done that. He for had a, a whole time. like sitcom show or, or some sort mm-hmm. of some sort of um, like variety like show. variety show yeah. like from like the mid seventies to the mid eighties. Yep. Yep. I noticed that as well. Um, but for other like more U.S. based films, he was all in also Almost an Angel, Lightning Jack. Um, but a lot of people besides Crocodile Dundee might recognize him from Flipper. That was a fairly popular movie, and he was okay. in that as well. I don't think I saw that. Okay, I think it was uh, Elijah Wood. You know the story mm. of Flipper, the little dolphin. It's good stuff. Yeah, I remember watching the TV show when I was a kid. Okay, but... <laughs> okay. Uh, Sue is played by Linda Kozlowski. Uh, she was in. The other Crocodile Dundee movies and the first one as well, also in Almost an Angel. She married Paul Hogan in 1990. So after these first two movies, they they fell in love and they were married until 2014. Oh, wow. So that's a good, that's a 24-year marriage. That's pretty solid for definitely for Hollywood standards. Um, mm-hmm. It is interesting. They have a 19-year age difference. He's 19 years older than her. Um, wow. But yeah, uh, love knows no bounds, I, I guess. <laughs> so... Um, Walter is played by John, um, Melian or Melian Malian. Um, he's pretty much only really known for Crocodile Dundee. Uh, Louis Rico is played by Hector Ubari, Ubari, who is really not much done else, done much else that I recognized. And then Miguel, his right-hand man is played by Juan Fernandez, who has actually done a ton of stuff. But most of it I didn't really know. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of it he's done uh, local Dominican Republic films because that's his place. Okay. That's his homeland, and that's where um, he's kind of gotten big into that film where, where he's also become a, a writer and a director in that. So good for him. Okay. All right, so we will start off into Crocodile Dundee 2. We have Mick on a boat. He's fishing with dynamite. Oh, Mick being ridiculous. And then it <laughs> pulls out to a wide shot, and it's in New York. Oh, it's in, like, the <laughs> Hudson Bay or something. Wow. Oh, Mick. The police comes in, and they're just kind of, like, shaking their finger. Oh, Mick, it's you. Uh, they they kind of laugh it off, which is ridiculous. <laughs> He's still using dynamite, um, you know, <laughs> in the Hudson Bay. But we then see Sue as she wakes up, and uh, Mick comes back. You know, telling her she can tell that he's thinking about Australia just in general. Um, he's mm-hmm. also thinking about getting a job. Uh, outside, he shows uh, some kids how awesome he is at throwing rocks at cans. <laughs> he's just—I mean—he's just using his Australian wits. Like all Australians are good at, you know, all this. Actually, it's not. I mean, he—he's you know—he is special. You know, he is from right. the outback. He is adopted by the Aborigines that we'll learn later, um, and so he just—he knows. He knows things that regular guys can't. He's he's almost a uh, a superhero. Yeah. He also kind of shows them some tracking tips, but this is actually a pretty good setup because you know it with like the throwing, it shows his special skills, and with his tracking, it just shows things that you know he's better at than other people. Where I think in the first movie he was just kind of an ex- uh, uh, an eccentric Australian. In this one, they kind of I don't know up his powers a little bit and make him almost he's more like Billy Jack. Yeah, he absolutely. That's a good. That's a very good uh, reference. I didn't even think about that, but he is. He's got. He's got special because because Billy Jack was like part Native American, and that gave him special powers. He was just you know good at everything. Mm-hmm. This is very much the same thing, but just with Australia. Yeah. So yeah, that's a, that's a really good comparison. Thank you. 
Did you notice, did you recognize one of the girls that he was talking to in the park? I don't think so. That one of them was Tatiana Ali, better known as Ashley Banks in Fresh Prince, but obviously oh. younger she, when she was still a bit younger. So I thought that was funny. I, I definitely recognized her immediately. And one of these other kids I did, does, have, does have a funny line where he talks about uh, goanna tracks. That's a goanna, a real big lizard. Right. You can eat it, but it tastes like shit. Right, Mick? <laughs> yeah. And you know what? Anytime a kid says shit, it's just funny to me. So... Uh, at a bar, Mick is announcing that he's, you know, uh, looking for a job and up walks this guy, Leroy Brown, who I had no idea it was Charles S. Dutton yeah. until just watching it this time. Yeah, I had the same reaction. Because I absolutely remember Leroy Brown. As you mentioned, yeah, we did watch this movie a lot. Mm-hmm. And um, it's it's really at this point already in the film where I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, Leroy's in this one. Where in my head, I, I probably have... I haven't. I saw Crocodile Dundee a couple years ago, and I think I even then I remember like, oh wow, a lot of the the scenes that I'm nostalgic for aren't in this one. They they must be in the second one, and and so seeing it in this one, I'm like, oh wow, okay, we really did watch Crocodile Dundee two uh, significantly more yeah. than than the first one. And there's a couple scenes that I absolutely remember from the first one. Probably the most nostalgic for me is when he's walking on the people to get to Sue, like in the sub in the packed subway at the end. Um, but this one, whew, all right, yeah, we just got it's got Leroy Brown, but uh, the big, yeah, the big shock, Charles S. Dutton, who's been in, um, was it Alien Three? He's been in tons of stuff. He's a fantastic actor. But it's yeah. just it's just kind of funny seeing him here. It's like, oh, okay. Uh, he was um, in Rudy too. Wasn't oh, he? that's right. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yep. For the longest time, I thought that he was the same guy who was the limo driver from the first movie. For some reason, oh, but I don't okay. think he is. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think so. The bartender kind of warns Mick about Leroy that he's into like some bad shit and stuff like that. And Leroy kind of takes Mick out for a walk, and he wants to hire him as a delivery man for stuff. And I'm like, oh god, what kind of stuff? Stationery, you know, <laughs> office supplies. Uh, and it's just it's it's cute, a kind of nice little bait and switch because you know he's yeah. actually legit, but he's got the name Leroy Brown, and he likes. You know, kind of like being that bad, bad Leroy Brown, um, you know, mm-hmm. vibe. He he likes he, he likes, likes having re- that rep. Yes, he does, and he just plays into it. It's kind of funny. It's re- he's a ridiculous character, but I appreciate him. Uh, Mick and Sue are shopping for some gift gifts for some of uh, uh, Mick's Aussie friends. We we see one that's kind of a funny little one called Beast. He's like, oh, I can get this for Donk, and he tests out how irresistible it is, and it's just kind of it's just some funny. There's a bunch of this humor that is. I think similar enough to the first movie where it's, you know, misplaced guy or, you know, fish out of water, fish out of water. Exactly. Fish out of water. Australian who doesn't really know anything about modern world comes to the modern world, which, of course, New York is the epitome of modern world at that time. He also walks by a guy who's doing a snake charming thing and he takes the snake and snaps (laughs) his neck. And I was just like, ah, that's that was funny shit. Um, We see Sue at work and we kind of learn very quickly about her ex-husband the this coworker had a really good line about Mick where she's like, Sue, how is he in bed? And she's like, I don't know. He still sleeps on the floor. Just kind of <laughs> funny. Again, fish out of water stuff. Like yeah. a lot of that humor. In Colombia, we see the ex and he's photographing a, uh, a drug dealer guy uh, who we find out to be Luis Rico. And Rico kills this dude. Bob got all the pictures of it. Um, and so he rushes back to a hotel, calls, you know, this U.S. agency uh, that he's kind of working for to try and 
you know, get me out of here. Um, and he apparently sent the pics somewhere and he wants to get picked up. He calls Sue's leave her message. So it's obviously he sends the pictures to her, but by that time the cartel made it to his hotel and they kill him. So now Bob, I can't remember his last name, but Bob, Bob dead, deads McGee. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's all I know. But in New York, we kind of cut a little bit of time and Mick gets the package, you know, he's just picking up the mail. And so he just kind of keeps it with him as he's leaving the apartment and he sees Leroy. He ends up delivering a package for Leroy and it's into the skyscraper area. And he sees a guy about to jump off a ledge. (laughs) So we have a very interesting scene here where I would say most people who are trained to talk people off ledges don't do so (laughs) by being as uh, not particularly sensitive he's just telling him could you hurry up and go i'm trying to walk around here just just, just jump <laughs> off just go ahead and do it it's like oh shit but there is a weird very late 80s you know early 90s thing where this was a time where movies didn't really know how to handle homosexuality mm-hmm. and so this guy is broken up about you know his lover who is another man and when paul hogan finds that he's like a guy he kind of takes a step backwards and almost falls off the building and it's mm-hmm. just like Okay. All right. This just kind of, uh, just kind of, just kind of shows it was definitely a different time where I don't think, I don't think that whole little trope would have, I don't even say it really worked, um, but it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be played off as it is in this film. Yeah. But he, you know, he's fine. He gets down on like the next floor and walks out, but we see Miguel, the right hand man of the cartel dude. He gets to New York and he ends up kidnapping Sue and takes her to Rico, who basically threatens her, um, but she doesn't know at this time what's going on, so she has to call Mick, and he's got the letter. Uh, Rico tells Mick to ditch the DEA that's there and bring the letter to a specific location without being followed. So, we see the DEA is following him. Silly DEA, you can't hunt the hunter, and we know Mick is the hunter. <laughs> Did you recognize the DEA agent? I I was going to ask you the same thing. I did. I didn't actually need IMDb for this one because I saw his face and I was like, oh, God, yes. That's Steven Root. Yep. I mean, this guy, what a a great character actor of today's time. Mm -hmm. Um, He's just hilarious. I mean, also news radio, if anybody hasn't seen him in that. He's he's, Steven Root. Most people probably know him from Office Space. He plays Milton, uh, which he doesn't look anything like himself in that one. They have the big glasses and he's just very nerdy. But, yeah, that made me so happy. Yeah, he's the the agent. He gets his... um, as he's going to the bathroom, Mick sneaks, sneaks up sneaks up on him, puts his big knife to his throat at first, and then he moves his big knife down to his uh, lower portions that he's holding. And there he has this, you know, uh, it's a very funny scene. It's definitely one that I remembered. Yeah. I do love his little line at the end when Mick kind of gets the information that he was looking for, which was, you know, why are you following me? So Mick backs away and, uh, the, you know, Stephen Root, the DEA agent, kind of all very very uh, shocked and, 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 and scared at this point. <laughs> he kind of looks down and he's like, oh, you okay, buddy? Are you okay, buddy? <laughs> just <laughs> just talking to his penis. It's just kind of funny. Um, at the subway station, uh, Mick meets up with this sleazy guy, this bad guy who is going to, you know, apparently trade him, get, get the info so then he can get uh, Sue. He says Sue's going to be on the next train, which she isn't. It's bullshit. He pulls a gun on Mick, um, who initially reaches for his knife and the guy has him pull it out and he gives a nice little callback line where he says now that's a knife 
mm-hmm. which is it's just I do really appreciate this. I think this is I, I think this is solid writing because as opposed to doing the exact same trope that they did in the first one, which is obviously oh that's that's not a knife, this is a knife. They kind of take it and just kind of just flip it. Yeah, and I think it it works really well because it's not because they could have easily just you know they knew that was the most quotable line from the entire first film, right? And so I feel like a lot of lesser writers would have just kind of done the same thing or, you know, or that's not a gun. This is a gun and or done something stupid like that. This one, they just they changed it enough that kept it still fresh. And it, it was a good homage to mm-hmm. that first film. So some Japanese tourists uh, have Mick take a picture for them. He uses the camera flash to distract the guy uh, and to try to get away. Uh, we also see these overly ambitious Japanese tourists following him. This is kind of a strange thing. I mean, I, I absolutely remember them as a kid, and I think I liked this scene quite a bit as a, as a kid. As an adult, I'm like, guys, what are you doing? Get the hell out of there. This guy's got a gun. But the tourists help, and they actually end up kind of helping Mick take the guy down who gets like a trash can dumped on his head by Mick, and then they kick him. But I do I do love, and I do still find this scene funny, as Mick walking away, they're like, you know who that was? Clint Eastwood! Clint Eastwood. Anthony. Ah, Chicago. Clint Eastwood. Yes, very tall. So is I. Yes. Clint Eastwood. I don't know. A little bit, probably a little bit of a racism joke in there, but yeah. it's just like, it's just I don't know. It's funny. Japanese tourists. I do like the joke where the guy is kind of obviously he's not buying it and he, he holds his hand up like way up tight. He's like, what do you And the other guy who's obviously very shorter puts his hand up like a foot higher or, uh-huh. you know, like up to the head of the other guy. He's like, yes, very tall. Yeah. <laughs> he's so confident it was Clint Eastwood. So <laughs> it was good. Um, Rico warns Sue just in general. You know, he also lets her know that. He killed Bob, and so, or he had Bob killed, and so now she is, you know, worried. She's like, oh, shit, now things are kind of more real. Mm-hmm. Um, Mick gets himself prepared, and uh, he kind of takes out this guy who came to the uh, uh, apartment to kill him with a shotgun, and he ends up dangling him off the side of a building to try and get some information. Uh, we see that the the DEA busts in as well. And Mick takes takes a rope and jumps off the side of the building to escape them and crashes through uh, a different floor. Uh, he's lucky that he spaced it out perfectly to <laughs> hit a window and not like you know the, the side. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But <laughs> he's the you know, this these are this is superhero Mick for this is Billy Jack. Yeah, Billy Jack, uh, uh, Crocodile Dundee for sure. Where well, I guess in the even in the first one he kind of that's where he did like that whatever they where he kind of had the uh, the oh, ox in the oh, road yeah. kind of plop down or whatever or the water buffalo whatever it was yeah so he had some he always had some of these kind of skills but i feel like it's it's cranked up in this film for sure mm-hmm. so and it's probably is why we watched it and probably why we gravitated to it a little bit more as kids is because it's a little bit more farcical it's a little bit more yeah. ridiculous this so. is the rambo 3 of the crocodile dundee universe maybe can we just call it like rambo 2 because there is a third uh did crocodile i say dundee rambo i meant to say rocky Shit. rocky 3 okay yes i'll give it to rocky 3 uh and then crocodile dundee goes to los angeles is the rocky 5 like the real <laughs> trash yeah not as good so mick brings leroy to scope out rico's place and then leroy takes mick to like this punk bar trying to recruit them to distract the cartel you know, they're just chatting with this guy, this guy Rat, who is apparently their leader, who does kind of have a rat face. <laughs> Don't you think so? I thought that, yeah. that that nickname was very fitting. I'm like, okay, yeah, you you kind of work. 
a great line here and a very memorable scene for for me is where this one dude, this other kind of punk dude with a mohawk says, you know, or no, Rat says, what are your chances of getting the girl out, basically? And he's like, eh, fair. And then this other uh, dude with a mohawk says, what are your chances of getting out of here with that jacket on? And Mick takes his big fucking knife, chucks it, and it splits his mohawk, like, right up to the top. <laughs> and he's like, better than average. Yeah, I'll go along with that. <laughs> I mean, that's a funny line. This is this is yeah. definitely memorable. Definitely badass. Yeah. As we get the song Real Wild One. Uh, that that one's as uh, that one's playing the gang goes out you know everybody's getting excited going out there and when they get there he throws his rock to knock out a camera which we saw it was that mm-hmm. was established from earlier it makes sense and uh the gang is like howling and distracting the guards while he sneaks in um and then Colin Quinn shows up as an yeah. onlooker <laughs> in the yeah. crowd which i thought was that that scene was completely unnecessary when they had yeah. they had a cut like when the the gang was all driving through the streets and then like we see like this group of people in a car being like what's happening we should follow them and then when they go there like Colin Quinn, like, Colin Quinn in his tuxedo pops up like hey what's happening I'm I'm here I'm down and it's like yeah but you guys really didn't do anything like <laughs> I wonder they, if there was a scene that was cut I I, I thought the same thing because they were like amping up people were coming you know they were just like kind of pulling that but the crowd itself didn't end up doing anything other than that distraction which they only needed like five six people for right but they made such a big deal out of people joining the crowd and joining the crowd and then it fell to nothing and so i was (laughs) like yeah i felt like it, it had to be something uh nick mick knocks out miguel uh, uh, with a uh, with the blunt end of his knife, and he then busts down the door onto Rico, uh, with a big statue, and he gets Sue out of there. Um, but yeah, so like, so he get he does it all himself on the inside, and then when he, yeah. while he's walking out, is the crowd starts coming in. But it's like, oh yeah, y'all were completely not necessary, other than the distraction. Exactly how Mick planned it. Yeah. So why did we make a hullabaloo? But whatever. That's just. Why do you I always, think? I th- um, I've always wondered this. Why do you think he didn't kill Miguel? Uh, he's not a killer, you know. He yeah, but like he, he was about to. He was like ready to go, and then he just kind of changed his mind. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I mean, he didn't kill. He didn't kill anybody else. He didn't kill yeah. the guy who was hanging on top. He didn't kill any of the other dudes. He just he knocked them all out. One, I don't like that. He knocked out one of the guys on the outside by smacking him in the chest with a old school lawnmower, and the guy was just like <laughs> knocked out. It's like no, yeah. he would have been winded. Yeah, like people get knocked in movies. People get knocked out for like you. You flick them on like their temple, and they're uh, and they're knocked out. Right. It's like, come on, like <laughs> treat humans a little bit more like humans. And you know, anybody they can take one punch or they can take a smack, you know, to the chest and not be completely knocked out anymore. But what? I guess with him, maybe he hit a nerve point by smacking. I don't know. He, <laughs> he's magic, Mick. <laughs> Maybe that's it. Maybe, you know, I want, I've never seen Magic Mike, but they totally should have like an Australian with like a, you know, a big crocodile hat and like a, a crocodile pants or crocodile like G-string on. And he should be Magic Mick on, on the Magic Mike movie. I don't know if that's a thing, but it well, should be. Well, we have a whole, uh, well, it's closed now, but we have a whole like male review here called Thunder from Down Under. 
which is all yeah. Australian guys. It's all, <laughs> yeah, so. Is it a good show, John? I don't know. I've never seen it. <laughs> damn, damn, you didn't, you didn't fall into my trap. <laughs> nope. <laughs> okay. Um, back at the apartment, they chat with the DEA who basically tell them, you know, they need to go into protective custody. Then the, the cartel guys start shooting at him and Mick's like, fuck this. I'm going to take her to a place. I know I can keep her, keep her safe. And so he wants to take her to Australia. We cut to the walkabout Creek bar that, uh, we first went to way back in the first movie and we see Mick's old friends that I think all reprived their same roles. Um, Wally nugget and donk and donk being just this big kind of ogre kind of dude. He's actually yeah. apparently an Australian, um, professional wrestler. Yeah. Like he was big on the Australian professional wrestling scene, which is, it makes sense. Yeah. He was fairly popular. We see Rico at one point's pissed that he can't find Sue and Dundee. Uh, and one of the guys, with him is I noticed one of the guys with him is uh, Louis Guzman. Yeah, and he, he's kind of one of his henchmen. Which Louis Guzman has become a fantastic character actor in his own right. Yeah, like he, he just pops up in a whole bunch of stuff, a lot of comic comical stuff, but like mm-hmm. in general, other other things too, where he's just kind of like, oh man, he's just a, he's a solid secondary dude. Yeah, uh, Sue and Mick in an area they they're kind of hanging out in this area that Mick calls Belonga Mick. It's kind of a cheesy i mean he's just making it up though mm-hmm. at first I, I, I honestly just now uh watching it this time i realized that he just made that up and it was, <laughs> uh, it was all bullshit uh where i thought it was, it was like oh oh belonga mick is that a, a aboriginal name and it's like no he just said belonga mick it's it's his mixed place it's his place he's he's <laughs> he was bullshitting <laughs> but so because he owns it it's apparently i don't know a couple thousand acres or something as big as i can't remember as big as Long Island or as big as Manhattan, apparently, but or as big as all of New York City, I think is kind of what she said. Well, okay, here's here's where I call bullshit. Okay. Because she goes, he said, you can walk across it in three or four days. Mm-hmm. And she goes, well, you can walk across New York State in two. I call bullshit. There's no oh, way said, you can walk across, yeah, walk New- across New York State Did in two days. Did she say state? Did she say state, state. or city? No, she said state. Oh, it's not very big. You can walk across it and- Three or four days. Three or four days? You can walk across New York State in two. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's, that would be... That'd be a hell of a walk. No way. No way. Can't yeah, walk there's no New way. York State. Yeah. There's no way. Okay. Uh, but apparently he owns a massive chunk of New York State-sized piece of Australian Outback, which actually isn't just Outback. It's gorgeous. Like, it's got, like... Like waterfalls and swampy, and it's a very pretty area. It's not just kind yeah. of gross outback, but um, it also shows us that he has a gold mine in there. So not just is he a badass at everything, he's also a rich badass. <laughs> so he's basically, he's kind of like the Australian Batman. He's got everything, man. Maybe we'll be casting him since we're doing Australian characters. Maybe there's an Australian Batman uh, <laughs> that uh, is very similar based on Crocodile Dundee, who was based on Billy Jack. <laughs> so I have no idea if he was based on Billy Jack, but you saying that that did not come to my mind at all. And I'm just like, yeah, yeah, that's definitely it. Yeah. 100% Paul Hogan saw Billy Jack. He's like, you know what? We need an Australian version. And he just wrote that. So I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Somehow Rico finds out they were in Australia and he pops up there. I, that, that, that was not explained at all. And I didn't care. Yeah. For that was the that was one of the parts where I was like, we needed we needed to find out how he found mm-hmm. 
again, probably another scene that got cut, but it was just like he just shows up in Australia and he's kind of like already hired these Australian kind of tracker dudes or um, kind of, you know, Australian henchmen to help him out. But it, it just the last scene we saw them is he's frustrated that he can't find them. And that's it. There was mm-hmm. no transition from one to the other. But oh, well, we do see that he hired they hired like an aboriginal guy to help track. But when that guy finds out that it's Mick Dundee, he just turns around and walks away. And yeah. he doesn't. So there's, again, kind of showing this mystical tie that Mick has to the Aboriginal people or just they didn't kind of know him or something like that. Um, oh, and, and tying in with the mystical nature is that guy, that tracker starts walking away and he just kind of like disappears and the mm-hmm. other guys can't find him. So they're just they're really trying to set up, you know, very similar to, I would say, Native American mystic arts of, you know, they're more one with nature. Same, same, similar kind of vibe here. Yeah. So. So instead of using him, they decide to go after Mick's friends. And we then cut to they have arrived at pretty much right outside Mick's door um, or close to, if you will. And Wally led them there. He's been captured by them. And I do like this <laughs> Mick Mick's mentality on to save Wally's life is uh, he turns to them and he says, shoot the dopey bastard. And then Mick. <laughs> Pulls his gun and and nicks Wally and shoots him yeah. partly, like, his hat off, basically. Um, and it's, it's his mentality is to save him, which I guess because he thought, and he probably rightfully thought that if, uh, you know, they had no more use for Wally, they would just kill him. But this one, now he's shot at Wally, so it kind of shows they're not friends. And Wally knows this area, and so now he's, I guess, angry enough back at him that maybe he'll track them or track Mick for them or something. And that's exactly what happens. Yeah. Mick wants them to follow him, so he kind of is making it obvious. Uh, at one point, he uses Sue's bra to kind of get one of the guys, which ends up tying one of the guys, ensnaring him to a water buffalo that runs him off. So he's uh, he gets captured by Mick, and then he takes another one out by kind of making it look like he was a croc and, uh, and kind of grabbing him and pulling him aside. My one issue with that one is, why did that guy just stay so quiet? I know... Here's here's my problem. I guess it's because he had a knife to his throat, right? And that's why he was going quiet. But to me, at the same time, your your other guys with guns are right around the corner. This guy obviously doesn't want to kill you because he's capturing you. Not he. If he wanted to kill him, he would have just stabbed him to death under the water and made it seem like a crock right then and there. But he didn't do that. He's not a killer. So he so why that other guy wasn't like, hey, he's right here. It's not a crocodile. It's just it's just this dumb Australian dude. Come get him. I don't. I didn't understand it. Okay, it didn't bother me. Okay, I mean, yeah, I mean, well, as yeah. far as that one guy knows, you know, crocodile Dunbee could be a killer. Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't really know him. So and then <clears throat> maybe he knows his boss. And if his boss just knows the general idea, he's going to start shooting regardless of who's there. Okay. Because I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Miguel didn't give a shit if he killed one of his own men probably yeah miguel does seem like a like a badass and honestly even though that guy i need i would i wish he was in even more stuff because he was a great henchman yeah i remember seeing him like this movie definitely flooded me with some more nostalgia than i was expecting it to because when you first said ah no i want to do crocodile dundee 2 i was like really like what about Crocodile Dundee 1? I, I was just kind of so on that concept. But when I was re-watching this, it was like, oh, God, I remember I re- remember Rico. I remember Miguel. I remember all of these scenes. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, this is pretty much what I associate with Crocodile Dundee probably more than the first one. Yeah. And I, 
I think they're they're great villains. I think both of those guys did a good job, and Miguel in particular, he he's just he comes across as a very just a badass henchman, and mm-hmm. I like him quite a bit. Yeah. Mick then uh, quote unquote makes a telephone call by using this like Aboriginal tool and just getting making the whole like whirling sound. An- again, another visual thing that I fully kind of brought me back to watching this movie when I was younger, probably with you and and Dad and, and Abby. But that uh, that instrument, actually, it's called uh, it's an Aboriginal musical instrument called mm-hmm. a bull roarer. Yep, that's, that's what I found. So, sorry, I don't know if I stole your stat there. No, no, no. That's I mean okay. that's fine. I, I have actually used one of those in a piece of music before. Oh, really? Yeah, I mean it was huh. it was heavily influenced on Australian themes, so that's mm-hmm. why it was in the piece. But it was a percussion ensemble piece. Nice. Did you did you have someone play the didgeridoo too? No, oh. I don't remember there being a didgeridoo in it. Okay. I was all excited, and now not anymore. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure it's a fantastic piece, though, John. Uh, I mean, it was a very contemporary piece, so most people okay. probably wouldn't care. There is. I'm gonna since you're talking about um, didgeridoos. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a. He's either Australian or New Zealand composer. Um, I forget his first name, but his last name is Skullthorpe. He has a piece of music called Earth Cry. The one of the versions of Earth Cry starts with a didgeridoo. And it's basically like one guy who's doing this improvising of a didgeridoo over this classical piece of music, and it's fantastic. It's one of my favorite pieces of classical music ever. Absolutely check that out. All right, so making our way back to Crocodile Dundee that has not a single didgeridoo shown on screen, unfortunately. <laughs> um, Mick mixes up some kind of paste thing that he says bats love with these berries that he got as well. He uh, he throws it all across their camp because it's nighttime now for, you know, for the cartel. And Walt tells the cartel that, okay, Mick was adopted by the Aborigines, and they call him Jabba Jabba Dadalala. <laughs> I don't know. I always liked the way he said whatever that was. The Aborigines call him Javajadadada, which means the crocodile who walks like a man. But he's really just kind of like hyping up Mick around yeah. this whole time. Yeah. I think he's he's you know he's he's you know he knows that Mick is playing with these guys and kind of pulling them one by one and he's kind of like trying to emphasize the um the myth of the crocodile Dundee at this time too. Yeah. Mick calls the bats, which is kind of a funny scene because they're like, oh, I don't believe this guy has all these powers. And then you actually see him kind of doing this weird bat call. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which is kind of strange. But anyway, the bats all, because he does, I mean, he's he was able to do that thing with the buffalo in movie one. He's able to call the bats in this one. So again, more close with nature. And the bats come in, you know, they're wreaking havoc. At one point, he, afterwards, he runs and drops a snake into another one's lap. Um, mm-hmm. Basically, he's just trying to mess with them. He's just trying to keep them from sleeping. He's trying, he's just trying to fuck with their psyche, is all yeah. he's doing. In the morning, one of the guys 
is seems to be turned into a goana. Uh, yeah, even even complete with a bandana around the neck, yeah. <laughs> which is Luis uh, Guzman's character, yeah. um, which is kind of funny. But also he, we see Mick at one point kind of working with Wally to lead them into a specific area. We see like Mick's hand pop out from a bush and pointing where he wants Wally to take him, which is it's, it's good. You know, Wally knows that he didn't actually try to kill him, but I think he's known that probably for for a bit. Yeah. Two Aborigines come over and chat with Mick. This is after that bull roarer phone call, if you will. Um, and they watch the captives. And we get a, a good little joke, a little um, thing where the Aborigines, are dead, the, the guys are totally playing with these uh, dudes who obviously don't know them or know their culture. Mm-hmm. And one of the guys who doesn't really speak English, at least, doesn't come across that way. He says something. And then the other guy's like, nah, we can't do that. Sue asks, well, what did he ask? And he's like, he asked if we're allowed to eat these men. And then he gives like a kind of little wink at uh, <laughs> at Sue, and it's just like, okay, yeah, he's in on the joke. It's all they're all just messing with him again. They're just showing that, like, you know, I guess if you're not of the outback, or you know, if you're not like of that area, you're just like a, eh, it's the same kind of thing, a fish out of water. They like playing with these city folks, you know, mm-hmm. or these fish out of water in their area because they know the shit way better than they do. It's just kind of funny. At uh, at one point, they have the cartel, or which is down to just. Miguel and Rico now, I think, uh, have Wally cross a river and a croc seemingly gets him. But it's just Mick playing with him. He's got like a skinned crocodile body that he's kind of playing with him. Then uh, so then so now Mick's kind of safe, at least. And he's he's, you know, back with uh, with that group. Um, one of the other guys who was walking around with the other like cartel dudes, this Australian henchman that they hired, runs into Nugget, who's just sitting randomly i don't know how you know i guess nugget was legitimately just looking for wally yeah because that's what he kind of says is hey i'm just like but it comes across like he's in on this whole mick thing and all this kind of stuff but i'm assuming because they don't they don't come back nugget and nugget and donk don't come back at all so maybe they are just legitimately looking for wally at this point but i don't know i like to think so yeah, I don't. It just kind of came out of context. Like, wait, wait, what? What are you doing here? And then it's even. And now I'm liking it even less when I'm really thinking about. Like, <laughs> wait a minute, why didn't you continue helping? Like, you know, why weren't you continue? But so it must have been that they were just looking for uh, Walter for Wally. So yeah. Uh, but anyway, a good. These are good classic lines. Ones that I absolutely remember. Where uh, the the henchman, the mercenary kind of guy is like, "You should have brought a gun, mate, not a beer." And and Nugget's like, "Nah, I don't need a gun." I've got a dunk. <laughs> You've got a what? <laughs> dunk. And then Dunk comes out and like bonk, knocks him out really easily. It's just kind of. Do funny. you notice what uh, what he was drinking? Uh, Fosters. I Fosters. did notice Fosters. Yeah. Which everyone in America assumes is Australian. Yep. And it's Canadian. What? Yeah. No, it's Australian for beer. Their whole thing is Foster's <laughs> Australian for beer. I am ninety-eight percent sure that Foster's is a Canadian company. Uh, uh, maybe they're maybe they're owned by a thing, but that's crazy. Hold on, I'm looking this up right now because I'm. There's no way marketing would lie to me, John. <laughs> no way. Come yeah, on, Foster's. brewed in Foster's. South Bank, Victoria. <laughs> oh God, manufacturer Australia. Latin America, Europe, I mean, Canada. So it's done. So it's owned by, or yeah, brewed by Molson Coors over here, and and Miller Coors. Okay. But they were probably they're owned by AB InBev. Uh, was it? Yeah, that might be Anheuser Busch. 
Yeah, Anheuser-Busch InBev. Yeah, it's brewed on the license of Africa. Uh, in a no- so it's brewed in a number of countries. Yeah. Oh, yep. Oh, it, yeah. says, so it, they have different- it says right here, it says not as popular and relatively rare in Australia. That's funny. Despite the, the branding. Yeah. Okay. Look at that. You learn something new every day. Oh, also, it's a 5% in the U.S., but only 4% in Australia. Or sorry, no, oh, 4% in Europe. They like less good beer in Europe, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Just kidding. <laughs> but yeah, kind of blew my mind a little bit. I'm sure I, I would imagine it started in Australia, but oh, well. Okay. All right. Sue uh, is then tired of, you know, sitting around. She heads out with a gun, um, you know, trying to be like, Mick just thinks this is a freaking game and he's going to get himself killed. It's a game he's winning. Yeah, exactly. Like, if he thinks this is a game and he has already taken out, like, five of their dudes. Yeah, exactly. Keep playing. Because he's, man, he's rolling crit after crit. <laughs> That's my <laughs> D&D reference for other nerds out there, which I'm not even a D&D player. You're much more of that than I am. But I played it last night. There you go. So, but her and Walter head out. Walter first, very humorously, asks this one guy, one of the, one of the aborigines, who's eating chicken, um, are, are you enjoying that? And the guy who hadn't spoken English yet kind of turns to Walt and says, nah. And I love the way he says that. You know, I, I mean, I definitely, I definitely think of that sometimes when, mm-hmm. uh, when I'm adding garlic to stuff and, I, and it's, <laughs> it is absolutely the his specific inflection of how he is talking about needing, nah, needs garlic. Yep. <laughs> uh, Rico then is getting angry. And so he starts a bushfire. Mick, then eventually kind of gets to just Rico and he's got like his knife on him and he says, take your pants off. And we're all like, huh? And <laughs> then we cut to in kind of in the distance, Walter and Sue see what looks like Rico leading Mick and Wally ends up shooting who he thinks is Rico. And then Miguel pops up and shoots who he thinks is Mick. And then Sue shoots Miguel. It's all kind of little <laughs> trifecta shooting each other. And we see Mick fall off of a cliff while they're kind of go over to try and see him. One, I, they didn't double check that Miguel's dead. That'd be probably right. the first thing I would do is go over yeah. and just get him a, a little double tap in the head just to make sure that he's done. Um, <laughs> but they run over and see Mick, you know, falling off a cliff. Uh, and he, he's, he's obviously dead. And we're like, oh, gosh, one of the aborigines comes over and he's like, <sighs> if Mick wants his clothes back, he can climb down there and get his bloody self. And they're like, what? What are they talking about? They kind of, they then realize that Wally shot Mick and Mick comes out dressed in Rico's clothes. They were trying to, you know, draw out mm-hmm. Rico or sorry, like, draw, draw out Miguel, um, which was going to work. But then Sue and, and Wally screwed that up. Yeah. But it all, it all worked out for the best. Wally can't shoot for crap, which is, <laughs> you know, ha ha ha. Funny, funny. Then Mick and Sue embrace and he's like, you ready to go home now? Well, yeah, because he owns like a fucking thousand something acres <laughs> and a gold mine. Why would you go back to New York? You're good. Uh, that's the end of the film. Kind of yep. went through that pretty quickly. I would say that was pretty quickly. Um, but there's not really a whole bunch of spots to uh, to, to pull out on this. There's not. This is not a depth movie. This is mm-hmm. a very surfacey kind of you know sequel, fun, silly movie to watch. But um, John, since you're the one who called out to do this one, how about you start us off? Let us know your thoughts. So one thing we didn't talk about, but I was thinking the entire time I was watching the movie was how much I actually really enjoyed the score. I, yeah, you know what? I didn't talk about that at all. And yeah, it was a solid score. Peter Best, um, that non-Beatle, did a good job. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know if he, I can't remember if he pulled on themes from the first one. I imagine he did a little bit, mm-hmm. but uh, it was, it wasn't an overbearing score, but it was still memorable. I like, I'm, I remember listening to it going, oh yeah, I totally remember this. I remember, you know, this, this music happening at certain different parts and stuff like that. So I think actually very good job on the score. Honestly, it was just as much fun watching it this time as I kind of remembered as a kid. I enjoyed it. Uh, I think it's still a lot of fun. I have not watched the first one in a long time, but I imagine it when that's still a good one. So if you if you have never seen these movies, probably should watch the first one to get a sense of the character and then watch the second one for fun. Probably don't need to watch the third one <laughs> at all. He goes to Los Angeles. Woo! Yeah, he goes to Los Angeles. I did watch this with my son, who seemed to enjoy it. He was a little squirrely. So I, I was constantly, <laughs> he was constantly like asking me questions. I finally was like, stop talking. <laughs> but um i still rather enjoyed it i as i already kind of mentioned i was not bitter that we were watching the second one in front of the first but actually sitting down and re-watching this one i absolutely forgot how many quotable lines and how many quotable scenes or not quote but just how many memorable scenes in this franchise are from this film for me and mm-hmm. it just it absolutely backs up your your you know, what you mentioned is that we watched this one way more than, and I absolutely do remember that. Like now, now rewatching the film, I was like, oh yeah, I remember watching this one a lot compared to the other one. Um, I just, I forgot so many awesome stuff. Like, I mean, Miguel is a bad guy is something that mm-hmm. really kind of sticks with me. The, the whole, the, the bull roarer whirl, uh, the yeah. Nani's garlic, uh, there's just there's Leroy and Leroy's character in yeah. general, the whole punk, the punk Mohawk throw, in my head, I, th- I probably had more of the first movie and second movie muddled together, but I'm actually really glad that I rewatched this one now um, because I can remember like, okay, as a kid, absolutely this one comes. And the, the whole, the whole, the ending scene where Mick's dressed up in other closings yeah. and the whole, they have that gunfight. Um, all of that is so memorable to me. To, it just rem- reminds me that, yeah, we absolutely watched this one. And, and I'm with you. I had a really good time watching this one. I thought it was going to be a little bit cheesier and it was cheesy. Of course it's cheesy. It's Crocodile mm-hmm. Dundee, but it works. I, yeah. I am so, I'm so happy I did because it's just like, yeah, this is just a fun, enjoyable, nostalgic film. So thank you, John, for, uh, for making me watch this. You're welcome. All right, now we are talking Rocco's Modern Life from 1993 to 1996. It had four seasons, 52 episodes. Uh, It aired on Nickelodeon, and uh, a special came out actually last year in 2019 on Netflix. Mm -hmm. So it's still somewhat relevant. This show was created by Joe Murray, who went on to also create Camp Laszlo, which is another popular Nickelodeon show. And then more recently, he's done a show called Let's Go Luna, which I don't really know at all, but it's another, I think, probably another Nickelodeon show. Uh, The cast on this one, Rocco, is voiced by Carlos Alizraki. Yes, Bunky. That's the flat-footed, one-eyed royal brand pelican. He's the king of his realm. There's no other bird more graceful no greater fisherman. Watch him as he swoops down and gathers food for its young. Who most of us, I most besides Rocco, I know him most as Garcia on Reno 911. Mm-hmm. But he's also been on Fairly Odd Parents. He's got lots of credits, like 300 something credits uh, to his name, I think. Uh, he's also did the voice of Spunky or the dog 
Spunky in uh, Rocco's Modern Life. Heifer was voiced by Tom Kenny. <laughs> I love chicken. He has over 500 credits. Tom Kenny is a, a fantastic voice actor. We talked about him before because uh, he's the voice of SpongeBob on SpongeBob. He is the he did a voice on the uh, the mummy cartoon that we talked about and also on Dexter's lab. So he has done a whole bunch of different stuff. Um, love Tom Kenny. Uh, Big Head was voiced by Charlie Adler. Oh, just you and me, Bev. Just you and me. Who, another guy we have mentioned plenty of times. He's a fantastic voice actor. I'm just going to mention some of his credits here. Uh, he was IR Baboon in the I Am Weasel show. He was both Cow and Chicken on Cow and Chicken. He was Ickis in All Real Monsters. He was Buster Bunny on Tiny Toons. And he was, uh, when we talked about him first, he was Tex Hex on Brave Star. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then Filbert was voiced by Mr. Lawrence. Holy fish sticks. Oh, please. Oh, please. Oh, please. Um, who is best known to most of our other people. We talked about him earlier because he is the voice of Plankton on the SpongeBob show. Hmm. And he has also did voice a uh, bigger voice on the Camp Laszlo show. So um, a lot of other extra people who did some voices. But these were the main guys uh, that showed up on this show. And um, music. For Rocco's Modern Life was done by Pat Irwin. Uh, Pat Irwin has done music for Pepper Ann, for some episodes of SpongeBob, episodes of the show Nurse Jackie. But Pat Irwin was also a member of the B-52s from 1989 to 2008, which leads me, obviously, into my next thing I want to talk about, which is the theme song. Rocco's Modern Life. And of course, the theme song done by the B-52s. It's a very classic 90s cartoon theme song. I I definitely appreciate it. Neither of us, I don't think either of us ranked this one in our 90s cartoon theme songs, did we? No. No. And but it, it, is, it, it still is, wouldn't for me, but that's I don't yeah, I'm not nostalgic for it, so. No, yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Um and I even though it didn't rank for me, it's still it's still a solid cartoon theme song. Mm. Um I mean, you get that great yeah, that that just great B fifty two sound. Yeah, this is a good one. So very very happy about that. And uh, it's it's so the show itself is set in this town called O Town, would not to be confused with the boy band that came out in like two thousand and one or two. <laughs> John John doesn't seem to remember O Town the band. I remember that they existed. They did exist, yes. Uh, and the show centers around obviously the life of uh, the anthropomorphic. Australian uh, immigrant wallaby named Rocco and his friends. Murray apparently created the title character for an unpublished comic book in the late 80s, but he couldn't, you know, he couldn't sell the the character or the book at all. And then uh, later reluctantly pitched the series to Nickelodeon, um, but it couldn't be all that reluctant because it's been probably pretty profitable for him uh, (laughs) because they were looking for edgier cartoons. Hmm. I would say they absolutely nailed it on the head with an edgier cartoon here. So you weren't particularly uh, nostalgic for this one, but um, you know, throughout the show's run, there was some controversy for its adult humor. It, it had some kind of ties with uh, Ren and Stimpy with its style, 
but not mm-hmm. as intense. There's a lot of double entendre, a lot of innuendo, and um, some s- satirical social commentary in the show. They had a restaurant called Chokey Chicken, choking the chicken, choke <laughs> the chicken, John. R- at one episode, Rocky uh, Rocco worked for a sex hotline, which was kind of weird. Ah. Um, there was one episode where Heifer fell in love with a milking machine. And if you know one thing, he's a cow... But he doesn't have udders, John. I wonder what heifer could be, what what it could be milking. Um, and yet he's falling in love. I'm curious. Um, and also there was an episode that got banned where uh, Mrs. Big Head was trying to seduce Rocco. Uh, and it was all kind of really, really a weird episode. I did watch quite a bit of that one, uh, most of that one too. So, um, But I think all, all of that kind of innuendo all made sense because apparently adults made up more than a fifth of the audience for the show. During its run, which hmm. for a Nickelodeon show, a fifth of the audience, 20% to be coming from adults is, uh, I mean, it's very Red and Stimpy-esque yeah. style. Do you think it was weird that they that the cow was a male, but they called him Heifer? I didn't connect that at all. Okay. <laughs> because I guess Heifer is a female cow. Yeah. Okay. No, I, I, I don't think I realized Heifer is really just a female cow. I guess I, I, I knew that, but it never really sunk in that you know i don't know if they were trying to say anything or whatnot but uh and then after this show was canceled uh much of the staff regrouped uh, to work on spongebob um it was created that who actually steven hillenberg who is a creator of spongebob worked as the creative director for rocco's modern life so uh quite a bit of people uh, as we already mentioned tom kenny and um, mr lawrence as well that's all i've really got about the different stats of the show how about i'll go ahead and talk about my stuff because i'm more nostalgic for this show and then you can kind of close out your thoughts because you well i I guess my first my first question before we dive into that did you watch this show at all when you were younger i don't remember really watching the show i remember it existing and i remember seeing maybe commercials or some other reference for it but i don't remember watching it at all ah um so, yeah, I, I absolutely did. And I remember, oh, God, it's funny. Uh, I, I wish I would have realized it at the time. So I was working as an assistant editor um, in L.A. This was probably around 2012, maybe 2011, probably, probably, yeah, maybe maybe 2011. Anyway, I used to do some some drawing, and I was just kind of drawing different characters. I, I you know, I, I'm not a very good drawer, but, like, you know, okay, I'll put up a character, and I'll just kind of like see if I can kind of replicate it. Yeah. And one of the one of the characters that I drew was Rocco. And so I, I this was kind of like when I was waiting for files to um, transcode um, or to ingest into the Avid or, or whatnot um, while I was assistant editing. And so I drew. I remember I had Rocco like in my stack of drawings. And uh, so I was working at a at a post house. It was called. Um, oh my God! It's right in Hollywood. It's in the middle. Oh my God. Um, where they were kind of renting edit bays and whatnot, where they did a whole bunch of different post stuff there, right, is pretty much right in the middle of Hollywood. And uh, so I was in my edit bay, and my door was kind of open, and in comes this guy who was asking for, like, oh, hey, do you know where the, the voice booths are? And so I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah you gotta go upstairs, talk to uh, Bird, and he'll tell you, Bird was just one of the guys who worked there, uh, mm-hmm. who owned the place, I guess, and uh, and he'll, he'll, you know, he'll help you out or whatever. And so he's like, all right, thanks. And it wasn't until, like, probably an hour later that I realized, holy shit, that was Carlos Alazraki. <laughs> he just like, <laughs> he just came in and asked like, and I, and I was like, fuck, I should have had him sign my drawing. <laughs> that would have been like, fuck. I had a car. I had a Rocco drawing right in my stack of stuff that, well, you know, and he just came in and, and asked me a question. I'm like, damn it, Adam, damn it. I screwed it up. 
I'm sure he doesn't remember that one time he asked a random assistant I'm sure. <laughs> where to go, but I remember. So that's really cool. Uh, yeah. Okay. Final thoughts on the show for me. I watched. Oh, how many episodes did you watch, John? Only watched a couple. Only watched a couple. Okay, I watched uh, about three. And um, to me, this show one hundred percent stands up to rewatching it as an adult. I remember we both kind of appreciated Ren and Stimpy. It wasn't. It wasn't all that great, but mm-hmm. we appreciated that they were doing something. It was just a little too far out there for me. Rocco's Modern Life toes that line perfectly. It's got that adult humor. It's got that ridiculousness, the very similar style to to uh, Ren and Simpy, but it's just toned down a little bit. But I think that's for the better. I think it's a little bit more subtle with its jokes, and I think it appeals to a, a bigger audience and it appeals to adults better because of that. It's not too farcical, too ridiculous. I think it's just the amount of perfect. I had a really good time rewatching these. I thought this show was freaking hilarious still watching it now i haven't seen that 2019 movie but because i've refreshed myself on the show i will absolutely be going and, and getting my dose of nostalgia to rewatch that and be like yes thank you this is that, that, that's the kind of thing that i want just you know just give me like a, a one-off uh netflix movie that just kind of brings back some of that nostalgia and knowing how much that the show really does hold up for me i'm excited to go watch that so I'm scared to ask you your opinion because uh, I know what typically your opinion is on shows that you haven't watched when you were younger. Yeah, it's largely the same. I didn't think it was a bad show. I just okay. don't think it's not really a show. I I watched it. It was kind of funny. Um, I had no nostalgic pull to it, so I had no desire to ever kind of go back and watch it again. My son did. I actually have seen parts of the the 2019 Netflix movie because my son wanted to watch it. Okay. Um, he's he's gotten into Rocco a little bit. Uh, but I mean, it was fine. It was okay. fine. I, I I I wouldn't say it was bad at all. I mean, I think it was it was better than a lot of stuff I've I've seen. I just had no nostalgic pull, and so it didn't really draw me in. I will take that, John. Okay, <laughs> that's probably about the best I can get out of you. Probably. And so I will take it. Okay. Uh, I yeah. Um, you know, I don't really have anything else to say about Rocco's Modern Life, but. You know what? This is this is a Nickelodeon classic. I think for a lot of people, obviously, it's still relevant as to for them to warrant making that 2019 video so or movie so awesome i'm i'm freaking happy about that so yeah go out go out and check it out or if uh if you tend to think more on the lines of john eh. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah This episode of the Blast From Our Past podcast is not brought to you by... How to Speak Australian. Shark Attack. Beer. Foster's Australian for Beer. All right, and now we're going to do the casting portion of the show. As mentioned at the top, we will be casting some Australian comic book characters. Um, I don't think any of these will be well known at all except for you know the most devotee of comic book readers yeah yeah uh we got a handful of uh characters and i'll kind of introduce them a little bit as we go along at least like where you can find them Mm -hmm. 
Uh, and we are going to the characters of Gateway, Tasmanian Devil. No, not that Tasmanian Devil. Yeah. Uh, Kangaroo, Ultra, or Ultra, uh, however you want to say that. Mm-hmm. Kaboomerang, which I think is just like the greatest, cheesiest name ever. Uh, Lifeguard and Shimmer. And I'll kind of introduce each one. Uh, we'll work backwards from that. And we'll start with Shimmer. So Shimmer is a DC character. I think she was a villain. Uh, of the Teen Titans. Yes. And um, she has the ability to transmute matter, allowing her to transmute an element or compound into another. So interesting. I'm not quite sure how she used that to fight the Titans. I've been reading a lot more um, comic books lately. I might have to find some, uh, maybe a run that she's in mm-hmm. and uh, try that out. Um, it looks like, just looking at this thing, she did. she did appear on... Jeff John's run of Teen Titans, and that's a pretty mm. well-known run, so I might try that Okay, just to see her out. So mostly I'm just kind of going based on looks, which I, I know, Adam, you said you were as well. Yeah, uh, I, I I went on, are they Australian, and are <laughs> do they look like the character? <laughs> so. um, I think I also did the same thing where I went, I looked specifically for Australian actors. Yeah. I, I can very proudly say every single one of my casting is an australian actor so i'm excited about that i think i can say the same okay i think i'm gonna say yes okay right now and if if not australian maybe new zealander no i think they're all australian okay i will go ahead and start us off uh with my shimmer um i just kind of looked for uh an actress australian actress who thought, you know, would work. Maybe somebody who's done a lot of work, but maybe he's not like a leading person because this is not a character that's going to have their own movie, mm-hmm. you know? So uh, I found this uh, this lady who I think could work. Um, she's done a good number of things. She's only about a year younger than you, Adam. Okay. So she's, uh, in, she's in her mid-30s, which is fine. You know, Shimmer herself doesn't have to be yeah. a teen uh, to be a villain. And she was in uh, she was in the uh, movie Warm Bodies. Oh, uh, she okay. was also in Hacksaw Ridge. Yep. Uh, and her name is Teresa Palmer. Okay, Teresa Palmer as your Shimmer. I like Teresa Palmer, but I'm not sure that's the best casting for <laughs> Shimmer. <laughs> okay. For for this, yeah, that's all I'm gonna say. How about that? Okay. I like well, warm. Who'd... I like Warm Bodies. I've seen. I've I own that movie. Um, definitely okay. a fan, so. Well, then who did you go for for Shimmer? So I went with another up-and-coming Australian actress. She is a little bit younger than um, Teresa Palmer, um, but she, I think, you know, uh, she could definitely fit. She fit the look enough for me for Shimmer, and I think that she would uh, do the job. She is in a movie that has just recently come out playing, um, uh, I think it's probably Bill S. Preston Esquire's daughter, uh, I went with Samara Weaving as my shimmer from Australia. I think she was also in three billboards, et cetera, and that kind of stuff. Interesting. Interesting. Um, I'm not sure I like Samara Weaving as a shimmer. Uh, <laughs> uh, huh. I see. But, uh, yeah, yeah, that's all I'm going to say about that one. <laughs> okay. I think we probably did something here, John. <laughs> well, he's like, who are the two youngish uh, Australian actresses? And we put them in our, <laughs> our casting. And maybe we. So let's go to our next yes. character named Lifeguard. 
And there's really only one person who could be playing lifeguard. And that is, of course, <laughs> Teresa Palmer from Warm Bodies and Hacksaw Ridge, who I picked as my lifeguard. Um, and I am of the belief that there's only one person who could be playing lifeguard, and that's Samara Weaving, wow. who I picked for lifeguard. <laughs> wow. Very interesting. Uh, so lifeguard uh, is a character uh, from Marvel, mostly made appearances in X-Men, uh, was created by Chris, Chris Claremont and Salvador La Roca. I'm not really sure how to pronounce his name. And she uh, kind of has the ability to allow her body to react to any threat by transforming and manifesting powers. Kind of like, um, what was the one from the movie? Oh, um, uh, um, uh, Darwin. Darwin, which I can't remember if he's a real character he, or if they is, made him up no, for the movie. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure he was a real character. I think I think you're right. So he's kind. She's kind of like that. Mm-hmm. She's kind of a reactionary character. She her powers manifest as she needs them. Yeah. So interesting character. Very interesting uh, choices. <laughs> yeah. I, that does not. Uh, that does not happen very often. Where we no. Well, pick the yeah, the exact same two, and we just. I don't know if we've ever done it where we've fully fully. I don't think so. Them. Yeah. That is pretty. I don't cool. think so. It's very cool. Usually when we pick the same actors, we're pretty we're pretty on board with each other and put them in the same spots. I do think it was pretty obvious that Teresa Palmer is more of a lifeguard than a shimmer, though. <laughs> That's obviously. As much as I know Whatever. about this character. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. Let's go to Kaboomerang. It's a good, interesting name. Kaboomerang. Kaboomerang, uh, he's a, out of an Aboriginal Australian, uh, a member of the Guardians of the Globe, and I can't remember what that's from. I know it's an Image comic, mm-hmm. um, or he's from Image, so I can't remember exactly what, although it says publisher is Skybound, but I swear this guy was an Image. Uh, what is Skybound? Is Skybound a subsidiary of Image? Could be. I mean, I type. I typed up Kaboomerang Oh, that's Robert, that's Robert Kirkman's thing, and that okay. is that is that image. is a- an image partner. Okay, cool. So, uh, and he throws exploding boomerangs. Uh, really? With a name like Kaboomerang? I wouldn't have thought. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> so, Adam, who did you go with? Uh, so, yes, I wanted a, an Australian actor. I wanted someone, a uh, person of color as well. And this guy has got that. He's younger on the younger side. So he's definitely younger than like kind of the beefy strong dude that I see in this, um, in this casting, or at least in, in like the pictures that I'm getting. Um, so, you know, he'd have to beef up a little bit, but you can, I, I can have a younger Kaboomerang. Um, it's not going to be that big of a deal. You've used him before and I can't remember in what, um, but he is from Australia. His name is Keenan Lonsdale and he plays Kid Flash in the Flash series. And so he's already got superhero cred and superhero work in the uh, in the Flash show. So I think uh, he would be a perfect call for my Kaboomerang. Interesting. K-E-Y. No, he was. I didn't know he was Australian. Uh, yeah. Oh, he is. Yep. Uh, I, that totally works. Cool. Um, I think he's a he's a little bit skinnier yeah. than what I'm seeing in Kaboomerang. But I mean, you can't. You got to take those those images in the comics with a grain of salt. Yeah. Because you know, you, yeah. if you just have a, a a whole cast of people who look like Hercules, <laughs> it's just, to me that's boring. You know, you gotta you gotta take the power into consideration and then yep. 
cast accordingly. So yeah. not a, not at all a bad uh, pick, I would say at cool. all. Cool. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely he's been in, in in insurgent as well. Like so, he's he's making his way across in like the uh, actiony kind of franchises. So so I went with kind of an unknown actor. Okay. Um, he is Australian. He's uh, an indigenous actor, uh, born in '96. So that's mm. about the right age. He's in his twenties. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Mid twenties. Um, he's done mostly like TV shows, and I I think probably Australian TV shows. Is my guess, but he's done quite a bit, and he's been working pretty consistently since uh, the early 2000s. Uh, I'm sure he could work out because I'm sure Kaboomerang would not be you know the title character. Yeah. Of whatever <laughs> whatever movie this came from, uh, his name is Aaron L. McGrath. Uh, um, yeah, I, I don't recognize him. As you said, he's been mostly Australian stuff, so I don't recognize his work i don't recognize the guy but he's got a good look to him i'm gonna go with it yay john <laughs> all right yeah yeah i mean it's an, it's kind of an underwhelming character so exploding boomerangs sounds pretty damn cool to me yeah so. all right so let's go on to ultra with two a's uh so ultra is from dc uh ultra is from dc ultra however yeah, yeah. ultra um and uh has uh is, is it alien i forget yeah so base, yeah so ultra, it's an alien ultra, ultra is very similar to superman but if superman landed in australia <laughs> okay i think I, i'm not sure he has all like the superman powers but at least like the 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 um the whole setup for ultra okay is, is pretty much like that well i mean he's got like superhuman strength and durability and flight but then he also has telekinesis and telepathy tel- okay yeah so a little extra. Mm-hmm. So I, for this one, I did go with a fairly well-known actor who's uh, been in at least two really big movies that I know people have seen. Um, he's very, very good actor, I think, and I, I like pretty much everything I've seen him in. I always like him in. Uh, he's best known for playing Faramir in the Lord of the Rings. I went with David Wenham, uh, who was David- also in Three Hundred. Yeah. Yeah, he's very good. He's a little bit older than I would expect you to be going, but that doesn't mean he couldn't do it or, or just have the character be an older character and he's got all mm-hmm. those powers. That's 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 no big deal. Um, yeah, well, you know, we saw. I remember seeing him in Three Hundred. He was pretty jacked for that. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I I didn't consider him, but I like that call. Okay, because I because I went younger. Um, but but I'm I, I dude. He's fucking Faramir. He's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he was very good in that. So okay, cool. All right, who'd you go with? All right, I went uh, with an actor as I mentioned, definitely younger. Um, but what I kind of got was like, yeah, almost those Superman-y esque vibes. And so uh, when I saw this guy, when I was looking through like my oh big list of Australian actors, I was like, okay, yeah, you're kind of a pretty boy. And so I think he could kind of fit that. I, I'd want him to get a little bit beefier, but I'm sure he could do it. He is best known for being in the show True Blood, and he's done quite a bit with that. He was also in the movie Flicka with uh, Tim McGraw. <laughs> you remember that? Um, but uh, his name is Ryan Quantin. And I think he's got the uh, the pretty boy look that I kind of would uh, translate towards my like Australian-y Superman kind of guy. Okay. Disagree? Not sure I like him for that role. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Should we talk about the next role, John, who maybe is uh, something you might like better? <laughs> Let's talk about Kangaroo. Let's talk about 
Kangaroo. Or maybe the next one. Who knows? Whichever one do you have. Uh, let's talk about Kangaroo, uh, which was a Marvel Comics character. There's actually two kangaroos in Marvel Comics. Both are pretty much just known for leaping. Yeah. Their jumping <laughs> yeah. ability. One of them, though, was a bit like a, a bigger, stronger looking dude. And the other guy had like a a, a, like a, a, a suit that helped him leap. Yeah. yeah. So whichever one you want to do, um, I'll be honest with you. Kind of looking at this stuff now and, and looking at at least the, the the Frank Oliver kangaroo, which I think was the one without the suit, uh-huh. it pr- I probably should have switched them. I probably should have put David Wenham as my kangaroo and Ryan Quantin as, uh, as oh, Ultra. As Ultra, yeah. But I went with um, I went with uh, Ryan Quantin Quant- for as, kangaroo. Because, okay. I mean, to me, it didn't matter what the character looked like because he could be anybody. Yeah. I kind of went. I went with the the suit kind of guy too. I want. I wanted the suit okay. on my one, and so uh, I went with yeah another Australian actor. He though he has been jacked because he was in the um the the sequel to Three Hundred called Three Hundred mm-hmm. Rise of an Empire that I don't think anyone saw. I never saw it. I, I, really, saw, I saw it. Oh, you did, <laughs> John. I, I see, you said that very uh, uh, saddenedly. <laughs> I didn't think it was as bad as people made it out to be. It definitely wasn't nearly as good as the first one. Okay. Um, but, yeah, so he's been in that, but he's um, more recently been on, I think it's a CBS show, but it's definitely maybe maybe ABC, but um, uh, kind of like a crime-ish kind of show called Blind Spot. Uh, this actor has been on that for 100 episodes. Uh, his name is Sullivan Stapleton. And when I saw him, I thought, okay, uh, okay, I'm kind of getting vibes from the the kangaroo in the suit guy that's what i got from him so that's so he's he's my uh he's my kangaroo okay um what else was he in oh he was oh he was in resident empire you said that yeah um i saw like the first two episodes of blind spot and then stopped watching it but okay um mostly because i was like all right it's like any other yeah (laughs) procedural show um I'm, I'm, yeah. I think he definitely looks more like a, a villain than yeah. Ryan Quantin does. So, yeah, I'm definitely going to give you that one. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, he does exactly. He does kind of have a villain esque look. Yeah. So, so definitely a good call on your part. I think. Hey, thank you. I think that's yeah, definitely a better call. Definitely, definitely better call. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. All right. Uh, Tasmanian Devil. Uh, so is uh, from the DC universe and is kind of like a, a werewolf, but yeah. the Tasmanian Devil instead. Yes, that's exactly what I saw as well when I was doing my stuff. Yeah, kind of look cool. I like the look of it though. It's almost almost I not, too. not quite like um, Sasquatch. Is it? Yeah, it's, uh, Sasquatch from Sasquatch Alpha, Alpha Flight. Flight. Yeah, but it's almost it's kind of like almost like that for Australia. <laughs> yeah. So I. I don't know why I'm jumping in, but I am sure. going to. Um, I was thinking voice more than mm. than look. I didn't even bother to look to see if if he turns into and out of his Tasmanian Devil thing, or if he just looks like that all the time. Oh no, it says turn into. So yeah, yeah. So I, to me, it didn't really matter. So I just went with a good actor who I thought also had a good voice for when um, he's the Tasmanian Devil. He's definitely a good actor, and something like this where he's going to be a CG character where he doesn't have to beef up as much would be fine. I just went with Russell Crowe. 
Russell Crowe. Um, yeah, <laughs> what was that from? That's from that's from South Park. They have uh, making movies, f- making songs, and fighting around the world uh, with Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe. Uh, it's it's from a, a show within South okay. Park. It's funny. Okay. It's a great episode. I fucking love that episode. Um, he would be if you were just pulling the voice. I think he would be a, a perfect voice for it. Okay. Yeah. So. Um, I did not pull from the voice and I actually, I honed in on another aspect of the Tasmanian devil character. So yeah, he turns into it. Um, it also, apparently it came out at one point, um, apparently that, uh, in 1992. So it was revealed that Hugh, uh, the, the character, you know, in his non-Tasmanian devil form came out as openly gay in Justice League quarterly number eight back in 1992. So... I wanted to specifically tie in that representation with the actor. So I wanted Australian gay male actor. And so I kind of was doing some searching and I came across this guy, Rick Cosnett, who has been on Vampire Diaries. He's been on the show Flash uh, as a detective. So not really a superhero, but he's been on that. And so um, he has done enough stuff that, you know, I thought, you know, fit kind of check the boxes that I needed. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, he's not he's not a big beefy guy by any means, but to me, the Tasmanian Devil character will be a CG kind of character, you know, a la Hulk, where Rick Cosnett is going to play the Bruce Banner yeah. and the main, and they'll just kind of have to do something to change the voice, make it more gruff. Um, and, but he'll be the main, and then he you know turns into to Tasmanian Devil. So that yep, that's my that's my guy. Okay, I definitely remember him from the Flash. Okay, cool, because he was in the Flash TV series. Yep. So I definitely remember him from that. Um, I think for what you're going for, I think that'll work. Cool. Cool. Um, I don't. They'll have to do something with his voice. I think when he's the Tasmanian yeah. Devil. Oh yeah, without question. So, unless they want to use your guy as the with human Rus- form <laughs> and Russell, Russell Crowe hey. as uh, yeah, let's do it. Let's. They merge don't have our... to sound exactly. I mean, Hulk and 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 Bruce Banner don't sound exactly no. like no. All right, we'll merge ours together, John. You know, with our okay. powers combined, we can create one Tasmanian devil. <laughs> so, one good casting with our one powers good combined. casting. Yeah. All right. Uh, Gateway is our last one. Last one. So, Gateway is a Marvel Comics character, mostly known for being an X Men. Uh, is an Aboriginal character who has the ability of teleportation and telepathy, but I think has the ability to teleport other objects and other people mm-hmm. so that he, instead of just teleporting himself, he can teleport other things from one to one place to another. So I actually fairly fascinated with this character. I'm fully intending on trying to find, uh, some, some stuff, uh, with him in it. Uh, also another character created by Chris Claremont, uh, mm-hmm. with Mark Silvestri, who's very well known, uh, for the uncanny X-Men series in the eighties, which I think is when Chris, Chris Claremont was kind of at his peak yeah, with definitely. X-Men. Definitely. So, Adam, who did you go with? Um, I was on my Crocodile Dundee high uh, with this one. I, I obviously wanted, well, I say obviously, I wanted to pick a Aboriginal actor mm-hmm. specifically for this role. Um, I kind of went back and forth, and I was like, okay, do I want to pick one of the Aboriginal actors that I just watched in Crocodile Dundee 2, or do I want to pick the one that I remember from Crocodile Dundee 1? And so I ended up picking uh, the Aboriginal actor, David Gopililil. Gopililil? 
Golpillil. I'm sure I fucked that up. Um, but mm-hmm. he was in uh, Crocodile Dundee 1, which I absolutely remember him from that. He also still has uh, credits. He's still still acting stuff, you know, till today. Um, doing stuff. Actually, both of them are. Uh, or not both. There was a couple in um, Crocodile Dundee mm-hmm. 2, but uh, the two that I were debating between. So they've both continued their acting career quite well. And so uh, anyway, I went with uh, David Golpillil. I think he's got really... a, a you pull them off. I, I like the the look is like straight from um, mm-hmm. the Marvel page as well. So yeah, that's it. I like him. Yeah, I like him because I also went with David Gilbert. Yeah. Woo. Oh, I was I was very tempted to go with Ernie Dingo, who was um, mm-hmm. the Aboriginal actor who who spoke English in Crocodile Dundee too. Yeah, because uh, they're actually they're both pretty similar in age. Only a three year difference between the two, but there was something yeah. about. David Gol- Golpillil's uh, uh, look that just kind of like, look, wow, yeah. that is that is straight gateway. So, cool. Well, and also what sold it for me was he was in a movie back in 2013 called Charlie's Country that he won a whole bunch of awards for. Oh, okay. For Very Not cool. just for the movie, but like for his acting in the movie. Awesome. And I, was, I, haven't, I haven't had a chance to see it, but I'm like, okay, he's, he's winning awards, you know, recently. Yeah. So I, I think this is definitely a guy we needed to go with. So I'm I'm glad we I'm I'm glad we finally saw eye to eye. <laughs> yes, we did. Yes, we did. A lot of similar actors, just not similar characters. Yeah, that is true. Four similar actors, uh, but only one, <laughs> one of the same casting. Yeah. So. Definitely though, I would like I would I would like to see this character pop up in the movie somehow. Yeah. Um, I think it'd be really really cool, especially now that um, Disney has their ex. X-Men properties back mm-hmm. that they can, they could do something with this. I, you know, I, I know, I know that, um, as Americans, we like to see America, but like, I like to see them go somewhere else. I like to see them travel. And, and I, it doesn't, and, and, yeah. And it doesn't have to be space because there are, yeah. there can be, uh, there are other mutants all across the world in the Marvel universe. Yeah. And so like, let's see some of them and let's kind of, you know, yeah, learn more. So I agree. Absolutely agree. Cool. So, Overall, it was this was a fun casting to do just because it was largely characters we were unfamiliar with, yeah. um, and it was actually it was nice to kind of get introduce myself to new characters who I actually yes. want to kind of read and, and yeah. find out about and, and some actors you know that that uh, I don't yeah. always you know search up, but it, it is kind of fun sometimes when I'm trying to be like okay, all right, I am trying to find Australian actors for these Australian parts, and let me look them up, and then one us also partly like oh wow, I didn't know that person was Australian, and then others mm-hmm. like looking to be like okay, wow, this person really has a bunch of credits. They're a strong actor, and I've never heard of them. Let me put them in this part. So yeah, absolutely. All right, and that was our casting of some Australian comic book characters. Please join us next time as we review the Metallica breakthrough album, Metallica, a.k.a. The Black Album, with our patron, Ken Johnson. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us at blastfromourpast at gmail.com. And if you want to suggest a movie or TV show from your childhood or to be a guest on the podcast, go over to patreon.com backslash blastpastcast and pick a tier that works for you. To find us on social media, search for at blastpastcast. So until next time, I'm John. And I'm Adam. And thanks for joining us. See you next time.
Hey everybody, welcome to Talking Back, the podcast where we like to chat about past achievements in movies, comics, video games, and more. I'm your host, Tim, and with me today in studio is co-host Dean. Oh, hey, hey, Tim. Dean. Uh, This isn't a full episode. This is actually just an ad. All we have to do is tell everyone that our podcasts come out on Mondays and they can find us on their favorite podcatcher. If they're into movies, comics, or video games, they should definitely check us out. Oh, well then, thanks everybody for listening and we'll catch you next time. Talking back.